This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. More than ever, I am super selective on how I spend my time, whether it's choosing which emails to read or how I get my continuing ed units. I want value for my time and efforts. I'm Shar Beauchart, and I bet you can relate. So when I say I get my CEUs from SpeechTherapyPD.com, just know their speech-language videos and pod courses are practical and totally worth it. And right now, you have the exclusive opportunity to pay less for the subscription than I did. <laughs> okay? Memorize this discount code. It's SHAR, C-H-A-R. Just go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, subscribe, and at checkout, type in what? SHAR, C-H-A-R. You get a $10 discount for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Do it now. It doesn't take long. SpeechTherapyPD.com. You and your speech kids will be glad you did. It's time well spent. Welcome to the Speech Link. I'm your host, Shar Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Not too terribly long ago in an elementary school where I was an SLP, a third grade teacher stopped me in the hall. Actually, she was one of my favorites, very nice, very confident, and she described one of her kids to me. What could be wrong with Johnny? It's a different name. He gets pretty good grades in math, and I know he can read. He can decode the words, but he totally falls down with his reading comprehension, and he has a hard time expressing himself. She had no clue. We proceeded to put the child through the evaluation process. Turns out, Johnny's vocabulary, knowledge, and use was really low in the basement. This is not an isolated case. If you have a Johnny, grab your pencil and paper. We're talking vocabulary here. Kathy Alexander is my guest today. She is a creative, super ingenious, fun-loving speech-language pathologist who has worked in the public schools as well as in private clinics for over 30 years. Kathy lives in Houston, Texas, and is an in-demand national and international seminar presenter and author of several books. She's the author of WH Question Blast Off and Core Curriculum Articulation, R, S, and L, both published by Super Duper Publications, as well as the book, Teaching Vocabulary in Paragraphs. Hmm. She's speaking with us today on vocabulary. In fact, Kathy has her own website called kidsvocabulary.com, and I can't wait to dive in and learn from you. Welcome to the speech link, Kathy. Thank you, Char. I'm so excited to be here today. Oh, good. Me too. Well, we're talking about vocabulary. Vocabulary seems like such a simple, nice vocabulary word, right? <laughs> right. It does. It seems simple. But I know there are many facets to vocabulary, and I'm hoping that we can touch upon many of them today, along with the therapy activities that we can do. Absolutely. Being a former longtime public school SLP myself, Kindergartners and first graders with limited vocabulary come to mind. And I always felt 
that it was kind of my job to help them catch up because so many of them come to school so unprepared. And I want to talk about them as well as older kids. But first, let's start with this. How does your normal, regular, average child acquire and learn vocabulary? Thank you, Char. That's a great place to start. Actually, most young children learn vocabulary through conversations with caregivers and parents. Those two-way meaningful conversations are the ways that children learn vocabulary before they go to school. And I'm talking about daily conversations, right? Anything from going to on a field trip to being at the house, regular routines that we can incorporate. We can weave in intervention and talk. Um, but really, children just pick up words. Actually, they call it picking up words. They just listening to our conversations and then they mimic. Actually, most kids just alert to a new word. They just hear their caregiver or their parents say it and they hear it a couple of times and then they pick it up. And they also, when they listen to adults read to them, there's a lot of words they pick up and through books and even TV shows. I mean, they just pick up words naturally, but really the conversation is really how they're truly picking up words. That makes total sense. So I think about my little, even preschoolers and kindergartners and first graders that are lacking in receptive and expressive language and really specifically vocabulary knowledge and use. You know, I want to say what happened, but also I want to get into, you know, what are their characteristics and, and consequences of this? How do we know? Well, that's a good point. What we have to do with children with a language impairment, or even if we suspect that they're behind expressively or receptively to language, this is where us, the SLPs, come into play. I feel like it's part of our job to give strategies to parents or caregivers. So, I'm first going to talk about routine-based conversation. So we need to teach the caregivers how to weave intervention into our daily routines and activities. For example, when they're brushing their teeth, getting dressed, while they're in the car, to talk to them and ask them open-ended questions. Also, this is good for daycare workers as well, because a lot of the children now spend the majority of the day in daycare. So incorporating that conversation, making sure you're talking to them. And when I say talking to them, I also want to stress not just the amount of conversation, but also make sure it's diverse. Uh, that they're, And you know how a lot of the preschools, or most preschools, actually have themes of the week. They'll have like farm animals or ocean week. And it goes along usually with the seasons. It's excellent, right? Because it's going to increase that diversity. For example, if you're having Ocean Week, you're going to talk about the ocean animals. But Shara, I'd like to actually have five points that I always share with parents and caregivers. So the first one is I do stress to them the diversity. And I also give them little strategies to do. For example, like 
for example, ocean meat. So if they have ocean animals and some ocean books, go ahead and put those like in a Ziploc bag or or in a sack or a box. And then that way, when it comes around June or July, get that box out. And it's going to force diversity. And then also we need to incorporate new words. You don't want to say happy every time. Oh, that makes me so happy. Go ahead and start interweaving some tier two vocabulary words, which we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Oh, I enjoyed that. Oh, that is marvelous. That joke is hilarious. Instead of saying it's funny, go ahead and start weaving those in. Mm -hmm. And another suggestion I give to parents is I collect objects and I suggest they do too. That will actually represent vocabulary. For example, if you're going on a walk outside, collect those pebbles. Don't call them rocks. Call them pebbles. And I really love going to the dollar stores. Those are the best. (laughs) Um, I bought a thermometer the other day. I know. Isn't that fun? And I thought, oh, my goodness, for $1, I can get so much vocabulary. And most people probably already have a thermometer or at least a digital reading of the temperature. But you can talk about it's warm, it's chilly. I mean, it goes all the way up to third grade vocabulary for a thermometer, like Arctic and frigid. So uh, be creative. Think about things in your house, like when you're going outside on a walk and start collecting those things and objects and, and use them, point that out to them. Yeah. Good idea. Yes. And um, another one, the third one is talk face to face, bend down, get on their level. It's what they are saying is so important. And we want them to realize that what they're saying is important. We want them to keep talking, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, my fourth and favorite tip that I share with parents is the sports commentator approach, right? Kind of like the baseball. Okay. So you're going to talk about every single thing as it happens. You're opening up the toy box. You're getting the truck out of the toy box. Oh, you put the truck on the floor. (laughs) Yes. Think sports commentator, like just like they do in baseball. They're standing at at the bat. Or they have the bat in their hands. And they're standing at the base. They're running to first base. They fell. Or, you know, right. I, I don't have all the baseball terminology, but basically. Oh, I get it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's totally exhausting. And I warned the parents before because I want to give them both that encouragement and acknowledgement. Because I tell them, you know, this is hard to do. You're going to be talking a lot and you have to say things constantly. But the payoff is incredible. Of course, I realize they cannot do this 24-7, right? Right. It's just too much. But if they can incorporate it as often as possible, the payoff really is incredible. But I do give them lots of support because it's a hard job. Being a parent is a hard job. So, and, uh, I want them to have that acknowledgement and encouragement so they keep going. And then last is probably my second favorite. It's play, right? Play. Play stimulates language. 
So for the little bitties, I like to do back and forth play, like rolling a ball back and forth, because it's really teaching that two-way conversation. My turn, your turn. And uh, you can take turns blowing bubbles. And then when they get a little bit older, you can play games. And also my turn, your turn. For example, connect four. You don't really have to play it where you have to get four in a row. You can play it like, it's my turn. It's your turn. It's my turn. It's your turn. Just dropping the little circles, the little disc in there. And then, uh, Char, are you familiar with Pop-Up Pirate? Oh, yes. Yes, that's a cute little game. Yes, put the little swords in there and, yeah, hope that it exactly, pops up. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's a great one. My turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. And then Candyland. And I actually hold the cards for Candyland. And then I give them one at a time because I have found over the years that the children will start looking through the cards and then give them a the mess. And it just that's just a good way to handle that game. And, um, and you can help them with the colors as well. But be creative. And you do not have to pay, play with exactly the way that the game states. You can be creative. Um, and it also, it teaches them expectations and rules. So when they get a little bit older, I start saying, no, you have to have blue to move to that blue spot. You have to pull a blue card to move to the blue spot. So, I mean, the expectations and the rules and plays and the turn-taking is so vital. So that's just a recap of some activities and suggestions that I give to the children, that uh, the caregivers and daycare workers. I talk a lot in daycares as well. And how to incorporate conversation, learning those bounding skills. Mm-hmm. That's great. So you're talking mostly about what, three, three and four year olds, somewhere in that age? Mostly, but the two year olds actually. Two as well. Two as well. Well, two, I really focus more on joint attention at two. So anything you can do joint. And I start uh, incorporating definitely vocabulary at that point. Mm-hmm. But with the three oh, and yeah. four is definitely like the play. Right, the turn taking. Mm-hmm. But if they can do it at two, if they can like roll a ball back and forth, go for it. You know, as soon as they can do it. Kathy, I am so glad that you incorporated play or that you mentioned play. I have kind of a concern that sometimes, you know, in our current society, that we don't emphasize play, physical play and interaction with others as much as perhaps as we should. And I am not anti, you know, touchscreen devices. That's not the direction I'm going. But certainly incorporating play into a child's everyday life seems so very important just so that they know how to play and interact appropriately, but also just like you're saying, to enhance that receptive and expressive language ability. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. Playtime is so important. Sometimes I wonder if they see SLP just playing games that people think, well, they're just in there playing games, right? They're not really working. Mm-hmm. And there is so much language development that comes with games. And like you said, those learning expectations and rules, all of that is part of having a conversation. And but I I love play and I love games. I and there's great games. There's new games on the market all the time. And they are and even for really young children, 
two and three year olds they have games, and as soon as they are able to play a game, I have them play. And then, and like I said, you don't have to obey the rules. Like a connect four, I do not really go into having four in a row for a while. I want to make sure that they just get basic turn taking. So uh, be creative with those games. Sure. You know, there's a couple of terms that I use. Like if someone is observing me and I'm playing a game or I'm reading a book or, you know, something simple like that, I use two terms. The overt activity that you see me doing is not the therapy. That's kind of the vehicle for me to do the covert tasks or the covert targets that I want to address with the child. So overt mm, is just what you see. Covert is what you don't see. <laughs> I love that. And it's kind of my objective, you know, beneath the surface. Oh, I love So that. yes. And I'm going to keep that in mind. Well, good, good. Okay. So I love those five, what did you call them? Routine-based conversation techniques. I love that. Yes. Two-way meaningful conversations. But and again, that's why I really stress to both daycare workers, preschool teachers, and parents. Yes. That's so vital. So it's the amount and the diversity of language. So uh, I know a lot of parents understand, you know, it's the amount you talk, but I don't know if they always understand the diversity to use different words, synonyms, expose them to different things, make it fun. Yes. Plant the seeds. <laughs> yeah. Help them to grow. I love that. Absolutely. You know, I remember, you know, working with little itty bitties and seeing and watching, observing parents interacting with their kids. And sometimes you see parents that are basically just using commands rather than interactive language and involving the child. And I bet that's important as well. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Because research actually shows that preschool teachers mainly use those directive routine phrases. Get out your crayons, color the bird blue, line up for recess. And I really do understand why they do that because they have to manage, you know, 20 young children, which would be right. very difficult to do. But what I tell them is make sure you have what we just talked about, play time. But also, you can have conversation centers and just put some pictures and some toys, switch them out every couple of weeks and talk to them. But what I think is most important is that when children run up to them and are going to tell them something, for example, they went out on a boat with their dad this weekend and they're excited and they want to tell their teacher. And they're so excited. They can't wait. But of course, they're telling the teacher at the worst time. Maybe all the parents are dropping off the kids. They are having to listen to talk to the parents, manage the children all simultaneously. And of course, little Johnny comes up right at that time, right? To tell you about the phone. Right. This, of course. To tell them, this is important. I want to hear it. But we will talk about it later. But most importantly, they have to remember to go back to Johnny and then talk about that, the boat and the weekend, right? Right. So acknowledge that what they are saying to you, and it might not be the best time, but go back to that when it is a good time. And to realize 
I think a lot of times, even in preschools and daycares, they feel like, well, we have to finish that project. We've got to get it home. We've got to finish this book. I wish they did not do that because if you're reading a book and the conversation starts and people are going, go with it. Go with the conversation. Keep it going. It's better to read a book over two or three sessions and incorporate a lot of conversation than finishing the book. So, uh, yes, so allow time for conversation, not in that really tight schedule. Yes, I know it's tough for teachers. They it is. have their it is. obligations to get through and their curriculum, and I totally understand it. But it is hard for our kids, and a it lot is. of times they don't they aren't engaged, they're not listening, they're not focused, and it's just slipping right through them. And um, they're not having to participate. It's it's hard on, yeah, it's hard on them. So let's move into our kindergarten, first grade, maybe second yes. grade, you know, it's up to you. And, you know, what are some of the characteristics of our language impaired kids? And what can we do? Okay, so now we're moving into elementary, right? Right. So we talked about those two-way meaningful conversations while the children are young. Okay. Now, in addition to that, when they get into elementary age, I'm getting reviews, some techniques and activities Okay. that I, and I have always worked in an elementary school. I should throw that in there. So uh, elementary is kind of really where my expertise is. But some techniques that actually work to to teach them vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And there's nine techniques, by the way. Nine so techniques. we'll be talking about. Okay. Now that is on your handout. Is that what I'm looking at? It is. Okay. It absolutely is. So you don't have to memorize it. Right. And actually talking about the handout, what I usually do is put it in a sheet protector or one of those dry erase pockets right. or sleeves. I really like those. And I actually just use a dry erase marker and you can circle them and it's going to help with demonstrate with documentation. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to memorize them, but let's say that you use antonyms and word sorts. So circle them, write down the vocabulary word. Did you notice, Char, that I have a place there for five vocabulary words? I see that. Yes. So you can, I usually target, yeah, I usually target three to five vocabulary words per session, rather I'm in the classroom or in pullout, either way, usually three to five vocabulary words okay. per session. So I can write those down and it works great. So, um, but before I want to talk about the nine and all of those are evidence-based, by the way, is that I want to just go over some general points. First, there's no cookie cutter method. There's no single approach. Oh, crumb. I know. I wish there was. And I want to talk about what does not work. Okay, copying definitions from the dictionary. No, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's too precise. There's no depth. There's no breadth. It's so succinct. And the same for memorizing definitions. So those don't work. And research shows that. All right. But the, the most important part about a child with a language impairment versus a child without a language impairment is really if I have to boil it down to anything, is the number of exposures to learn the word. Mm -hmm. Some of the children without language impairment, 
they can pick it out with just a couple of exposures. An average child needs about 12 to 15 exposures for the word to become automatic, where they're using it, they own the word, which is our goal. Okay, and you're talking exposures as them hearing it and using it, or just hearing it in different contexts? Both. 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 Okay. Uh, Expressive, receptive, concrete examples, hearing them talk, just any way, repetition. Okay. Let's say the word is discard, and every time the teacher threw a piece of paper in the trash, she said, I'm discarding it. They hear that 12 to 15 times, and then eventually they start using it. Okay. And uh, but that's the average child. Now, we always have some children that pick it up with less than, but a child with a language impairment may need 30 to 40 exposures. Some may need 50 to 60 oh. exposures. I know. So it's a lengthy process, and um, you have to really build in those exposures. So when I talk about these nine strategies, I want you to keep that in mind, that a child with a language impairment, and every child is unique, right? Mm-hmm. So they they could use 60 or 70 exposures. But I also want to talk about, and it really goes well with what I just talked about, is because we need so many exposures, right? Right. It takes a long time. So we need to be selective when we select our words to, to target, our target vocabulary words. When we select our target vocabulary words, we need to carefully select them. And this is when I'm going to talk about tier two words. Char, are you familiar with the tier two words or the tier system? I am. Okay, well, just for the listeners, I want to give just a very brief review of it. Tier one is everyday words. Rarely have to be taught. Table, chair, cup. Now, I'm not talking about our actual functional communicator here. I'm actually talking about a child with a language impairment, but not severe profound. Not someone working on their functional needs. But someone that really scored, you know, below grade level, couple of standard deviations. And um, but most of the kids are going to pick those up. But the tier two words are words used by mature language users, and they're used across a variety of contexts. So you're going to see these words in library books, history, science, social studies. So it's the most bang for the buck. So examples are observe, annually, Shiver, rage, ache, accurate. You see how those are mature language users use those words. And you will have that you will see these words, they will occur across a variety of contexts. But what they have found, researchers have found that were, these words are essential for academic success and reading comprehension. And children would be surprised how many tier two words are in kindergarten books. I'm surprised. I mean, they, they're just, hmm. I, one of my activities that I do in my workshop is I have uh, teachers or SLPs look through these books and make a list of the tier two words they find. And they are routinely and consistently 
surprised how many tier two boards are in really pretty simple books, kindergarten, first grade level books. So, so again, I want to stress that because we have to embed so many repetitions and exposures that be selective on the words that you talk about that you're going to teach because it's going to take a long time for the children to learn these. And then d- tier three are domain specific, tundra, isotope. So you're not going to really see these in other contexts. I am not saying don't teach those. There is a few times that I've had children that the parents or the teachers are like, they really need to know these. And I explained to them, but if the child needs to know these tier three, it's not that you cannot teach them, but tier two words have the most bang for the buck. You're going to see them across different contexts. Char Beauchard here. True story. I just hung up the phone with an SLP that had attended an on-site seminar. She said she loved the seminar, but she forgot to fill out her ASHA participant form. Sounds easy enough, huh? Uh Uh-uh. The seminar was three months ago, and all the paperwork had been submitted, and ASHA doesn't take late forms. So I said, Linda, you have to file an appeal with ASHA. Then she said, this is a nightmare. I drove two hours to get there, two hours to get home, and now I have to file an appeal? I felt for her. And then I said, Linda, have you ever heard of SpeechTherapyPD.com? She said, no. I said, just get your CEUs online, girl. That's what I do. You don't have to leave home. They have over 500 hours of video, a huge variety of topics for SLPs that work with children and adults. And if you don't want to watch a video, then listen to the pod courses and get your CEUs that way. Then she said, they're pretty expensive, right? I said, uh, no. Their plans start at $89 a year, for heaven's sake. And then I I said, do you want the icing on the cake? SpeechTherapyPD.com has scheduled a CEU cruise next summer to Italy and Greece. Woohoo! She said, okay, I'm looking them up right now. And so should you. SpeechTherapyPD.com. Check them out. Tell your friends. You'll be glad you did. You know, the tier three words that I most frequently taught when I was in the schools, were math, mathematical words. Because some teachers would come up and say, wow, this kid can can do calculations, but he really falls down on the word problems. Yes, yes. So, yes. So I would teach two or three words specific to math. Me, <laughs> at SLP. <laughs> right, I know. Math is not my strong suit either, you know, but I'm right. teaching it to this child. But, but yeah, just, just sort of, you know, interject that because you will have teachers that come up and say, Oh, you know, this kid just can't do a word problem to save his life. Exactly. And, uh, and sometimes it's just the vocabulary. It is. It is. Or at least, you know, that's a core problem. It, it may not be the only problem, but certainly it, it may be at the core. Exactly. No, and science is the same way. Science and math are definitely heavy with terms, terminology, that if they do not understand it. Yes. Even if they understand the basic science of it, but if they do not understand that word, it's going to throw them. So I totally agree. So again, tier three are not uh, 
off limits. But just as you look at it, it's really a selective process. And it sounds difficult, but once you look at a book or you're looking through the words, it's surprising how really easy it is. It's like, oh, yes, that's the better word. They're going to see this more. They're going to be exposed to it. Anyway, my nine evidence-based interventions, and this is what I later, I have an acronym. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you it now. It's LUMP, like a lump on your head. And card, like a deck of cards, but with two Ds. Because this is why I had the handout, because there's so many of them. I don't expect you to memorize them. I love it when people memorize them, but I don't expect it. So you have that handout. And really what you're going to do is pick and choose. Now, some children may need all nine to learn a word. And some children may need three or four. And not all words lend to all nine. For example, morphology. There's some words that have no prefixes or root words or base words or suffixes. And then some words do not have antonyms or synonyms. So when you go through this, think uh, one child may need three or four strategies. One child may need all nine strategies. But modify it, adapt it according to the unique child. But all of these are research-based. So I love this list because I can just go through there and think, oh, this word is perfect for demonstration, crawling, or acting out. So the first one is lexical depth. Think word relationships here. Synonyms, antonyms, word sorts, Similarities and differences, right? All of those have to do with word relationships. And then use the target vocabulary word in a sentence. So easy, right? But it is research-based. But they have also pointed out, the researchers, that it increases personal interest when a child creates their own sentence. Yes. So try to challenge them. Try to persuade them to make their own sentence. I fully agree. Yes. Instead of just repeating what you said, right? Yes. Yes. And they usually remember it. They do because it has their personal interests, right? Right. Their little personalities come through instead of just copying your sentence, repeating your sentence. Exactly. And then morphology, think prefix, suffixes, root words here. Okay. This is a powerful, teaching strategy because this is the strategy they can use to novel words, new words, right? Mm -hmm. If they see, let's say, toothless, a baby's toothless, they know less means without. And then you can say more abstractly, painless. But they're probably familiar with pain. They've hurt their knees, something had a, a, a earache. Then you can talk about without pain. And then let's say later on, they're learning the word worth and they see worthless. Well, even if they have not been taught the word worthless, they've seen it enough. They'll know it means without worth. So this is why it's such a powerful strategy. But not all words are have morphological parts, right? Right. However, the older they get, 
the more morphologically complex the words get. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely an upper elementary through junior high or middle school and high school. They're going to see a lot of morphologically complex words. My next one is the easiest and often overlooked phonological rehearsal. Saying the word out loud. Mm-hmm. And, you know, studies have shown that teachers are often the only one that actually says the word out loud in the classroom. Yeah, I have seen that time and time again. Yes, they're talking about the word. The, the children themselves are not actually saying the word. And how easy is that, Char? I mean, so all you have to do is have them repeat it, right? Right. And I usually have them repeat it five times. So I put up my hand and we say the word five times. And it also supports that auditory and muscle memory. Uh, Char, have you ever had a word that you said for the very first time and it was really kind of hard to say? Mm-hmm. Sure. And yes. And then after you said it several times, it was easy. It was a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. It's the same way with children because it's going to facilitate that auditory and muscle memory. Yes. So it's going to become more automatic. And then the next one is context. And I'm not talking about multiple meaning words. I'm talking about the same word, the same definition, but using the word in a different context. So, um, for example, I have a word, huddle. Huddle's a good tier two word. And in the book, it says, he huddles by a tree. So we could talk about them staying together, close together by a tree, but then in a different context, maybe like a group of girls or boys huddling together, talking about something. Maybe they're planning a party. So same word, same definition, but different context. Mm-hmm. Or in football. Don't they get in the huddle? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I live in Texas. There you go. So football is huge here. So. <laughs> You got the Texans there, yes, girl. Yes. Sure. So we do. <laughs> so in football here is really big. So I automatically think football huddle. It is. So the next one is active engagement. And I find that myself personally as an SLP that I just am so involved into this work. And I am just giving it my all talking about it. That the child is the one we really need to elaborate and talk about it. So just make sure that it's the child that's actively engaged. Not just, we can be also, but sometimes I'll have sessions that I think, oh, I did this and I did this and I did this. And then I think, well, the child really wasn't that actively engaged. So, you know, make keep that in mind that they need to be engaged. And then repetition, 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 mm-hmm. but not necessarily redundancy. I try to repeat the word, but do different things with the word. So they're still getting that repetition, but again, not necessarily redundancy. And then demonstration, drawing, acting it out. This is where your arts and craft things come in mind. And by the way, Char, when I do arts and crafts, I keep them as no prep or low prep. Mm-hmm. I do. At first, the, I'd say the first five years being an SLP, I spent every evening preparing for these really elaborate crafts 
or something that they could do. And really, it needs it can be simple. For example, if you're teaching the word globe, which is usually about a first grade vocabulary word, you can print out a piece of a, a globe, a picture of a globe, and have them color the water blue, the land green. Right? Right. Doesn't have to be hard. Right. So, uh, as long as they're teaching, they're they're learning the word, and you're teaching the word. Again, no prep or low prep is perfectly okay. Drawing. I have and I love these. They are these dry erase dot markers, and I actually get them on Amazon, and they're about the size of a plate, and they come in different colors. So. I have, each child has one, and then I have dry erase markers on the table. So I will say, let's say globe, what we just talked about. Okay, we're going to draw a globe. So I have, I don't have to get a piece of paper out, crayons or anything. They have their dry erase dot markers and a dry erase markers, and they can draw it. It's great. Okay, what what's a dry erase dot marker? Okay, well, okay. It's probably I, I misspoke. Well, no, I misunderstood. <laughs> but there's the dry erase dots that are the circles that are stickies that you're going to put in front of them. And they're actually meant for dorm rooms. They're actually, that's what I think they're actually targeted for, the marketed for, is so you can put them on your wall and write your dorm mates like little different notes like out, you know, be back to whatever they write. And they're actually the size of a dinner plate and they're stickies and they can come in different colors. But if you just put an Amazon dry erate dots, I have a kidney shaped table and they stick on the table. And I actually use them also for some behavior management because they come in different colors. And if I have two kids that really should not be sitting together, I will say, you know, Johnny, sit at the blue, Susie, sit at the pink. So, but there is so many things you can do with that as well, because like sometimes I have them document their own progress on there. They can write a check, like if it's articulation. I mean, there's many, Mm -hmm. many uses for these, but for demonstration and drawing the picture of the vocabulary word, they're perfect. Okay. Okay. And they do come off the table, but not easily, but they do come off. So, like, at the end of my school year, we have to take all of our things out and clean the tables. So so don't worry about it. It's not a permanent stick, but they don't come off while they're actually during therapy. They're, they're like a semi, not semi-permanent, but they stick. They're wonderful. Okay. I just went to Amazon. Did you find it? And it's called, yeah, I found them. Colorful, dry erase, dots, circles, whiteboard, marker, removable, vinyl, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And one is like $11, one's 13 and yeah. Oh, for heaven's sakes. I know. I love it. And they're different colors. Yes. So you're going to use pretty much, I mean, because some of these are darker. So you're going to use like black. Yes. Mm-hmm. I use a dry erase. Yeah. Make sure you don't have the permanent markers, right? Right. <laughs> right. Have the dry erase markers. And I usually have uh, the... Dark blue, blue and black. Okay. Oh, I bet kids love those. I like them. Oh, I want to get some of those. Okay. Well, thank you. Sorry. Sorry. We kind of got off onto a little tangent. I'm just saying that's a no prep 
demonstration because we know drawing a picture of the vocabulary word is an evidence-based approach. You have the dry erase markers and your dry erase dots that you can get on Amazon um, that is, there's no prep and demonstration is so important. And then also definition. That's the last one. Make sure the definition is child friendly. Right. Char, I am surprised how many definitions they use words that the child does not understand. So it's not going to help them figure it out. Right. So make sure that every word is that the children can understand every single word. So that's just, uh, again, I'm kind of surprised at the definitions because I think that's not going to help them because they're not going to understand the words in the definition. Do you have a specific dictionary that you like to use or do you just make them up on the fly? I usually make them up, but there is one on the fly because I usually just, and every child's different because some children will understand certain words and if I can tell they're not or they I just feel like they need it reworded again but co-build c-o-b-u-i-l-d is probably my favorite yes mine too oh it is it is the primary learner's dictionary is that the one that you use yes that's the one yeah Collins co-build yeah that's what I use too yeah I love it A lot of the words are in there. Sometimes I have to admit that if it's a more advanced word, I look in there and it's not there. But I'm going to say 90% of the time the words are there. And like I have my Collins Cobild here. Oh, you do? Yes, I do. I have it right here on my desk. I totally do. And I'll just, let's see, I'll open up here and just look at like, oh, let's see. Oh, I love this. Okay. Like, okay, here's the word scholar which is, you know, quite advanced scholar. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a person who studies an academic subject and who knows a lot about it. Isn't that great? Yes. I love, I know, I love that. The wonderfully simple, child-friendly, I know. Yes. Oh, good. Yes. Yes, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. Oh, we absolutely. We are, literally. Literally, yes. (laughs) That's right, literally. So anyway, those are the nine. But I wanted to do something with you that I think is, Kind of a fun way for SLPs to think about synonyms. Um, I often say synonyms, which is, remember, that's part of the lexical depth, Mm -hmm. right? Right. It's going to talk about word relationships. It's often a new label for something we already know. So if the child can link that new word to something they already know, it's going to help them keep it in their memory mm-hmm. because, for example, if I'm teaching assist and we, they already know what help, can you help me? I mean, that's pretty, they learned that fairly young. But let's say they're in fourth grade because that actually is a fourth grade synonym and mm-hmm. you're learning the word assist. And then if they link it to help, that's going to help that link. They're going to, it's going to increase the depth and breadth of the word. So what I thought, Shar, would be fun is I'm going to read some words. And these are all fourth grade synonym words. And I want you to think of a tier one, a word that they probably already know. So that, and just to demonstrate it for the SLP. Okay. Okay, you ready? I hope so. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
I won't make anything too hard. Oh, good. Oh, good. Conceal. Hide. Feeble. Weak. Good. Weep. Cry. Elated. Ooh, happy. Good. And manufacture. Make. Good. You did awesome. Oh, good. Woohoo. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there before we moved on that synonyms and antonyms are very important. Now, not all words are going to have synonyms and antonyms. But just the way with synonyms help you link antonyms. And like I said, not all words have antonyms. But if they do have an antonym, I would encourage you to teach it because research has shown that the contrast is actually a powerful semantic relationship. For example, if you know that an adult is not a child, that's going to help them. So anytime you have an antonym, try to use it because that contrast is really a strong semantic relationship. So I just wanted to make sure the SLPs were aware of that. Very interesting. So anyway, don't forget, lump card. Okay. Good. Would you like to, because we don't have a whole lot of time left here. This has been great. Did you want to talk about the reciprocal relationship between reading and vocabulary? Would you like to share a little bit of that with us? I sure will. Uh, This is a huge subject, but I'm going to uh, touch upon the highlights. Uh, And you're right. It is a strong and reciprocal relationship. Remember earlier when I said, Children, young children, primarily pick up vocabulary through conversation. Okay, well, when children get into school age, reading, reading is so important. Most of the children are going to pick up their vocabulary during reading, while reading. However, the majority of the new material, the word might not be mentioned enough. It doesn't have enough exposure for our children with language impairments. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, a lot of the kids are going to pick up these new words that our children with language impairments may not because it's not enough exposure. So us SLPs, we need to provide some additional exposures because really vocabulary is the building block for reading. And I want to stress that for adequate, and I'm talking adequate, not even good, adequate reading comprehension, a child needs to know 90 to 95% of the words in the context. Wow. So if they do not understand the words, then they're not going to be able to understand what they just read, right? Right. So uh, I want to just kind of highlight some of the uh, books that I have selected that are rich and robust vocabulary by grade level. Okay, so first of all, Kindergarten, The Year at Maple Hills Farms. I love that book. You can use it any season. And Good Morning, Digger, and that's by Ann Rockwell. Mm-hmm. And then I also really like Karma Wilson books. Are you familiar with her books? I'm not. Oh, they're so cute. It's Bear Feels Scared, Bear Snores On, Bear's New Friends. And she has other books, too. That they have. Tell, spell that name for me. Was it Carmen? Karma. Karma. K A R M A. Okay. Wilson. Got it. Thank you. And they usually target like first through second grade. Okay. And um, 
excellent books, cute illustrations. The, the kids enjoyed them and good vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And then also at that age, there's the theme books. One of my favorites I like is In the Small, Small Pond by Denise Fleming. It's so cute. It's about this energetic frog, and he takes you on a tour of a small, small pond. <laughs> and then I also like Over and Under the Pond by Kate Messner, and it's M-E-S-S-N-E-R. And that talks about the ecosystems over the pond and under mm-hmm. the pond. And I like the way she kind of describes that, uh, Over and Under. It, she also has Over and Under the Snow, which I just used. And it's a great illustration about the animals that hibernate and ones that don't through the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really want to plug, put a plug in here for wordless books. Okay, they're great. Yes. Endless opportunities to teach vocabulary without the burden of reading. So sometimes I think our children feel more relaxed, more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't have to read. But you can also embed that vocabulary. And my favorite all-time um, wordless book is Chalk, hmm. C-H-A-L-K, okay. by Bill Thompson. And it doesn't have a P. It's T-H-O-M-S-O-N. And it's about three kids walking on a rainy day, and they see this dinosaur. And he has this bag dangling. Notice I said dangling. It's your two words. Mm-hmm. From his teeth. <laughs> so they open the bag, and it's a magical bag of chalk. So they start drawing, and then the drawings come to life. It's really a cute Cute. I love it. Well, so reading and vocabulary, lots of repetition, pulling out the child-friendly words and so on. Is there anything that you'd like to say as we wrap up? And then after you do the wrap-up, I have another little question for you. Okay. Um, as far as the wrap-up, the main thing is just remember, multiple, meaningful exposures in a variety of contexts. I've gone over a lot of detail today and a lot of activities, but if you just really keep that in mind, and I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating, multiple, meaningful exposures in a variety of contexts. That is good. That's really basically right. That's really basically what we want to provide. Yes, that's excellent. As we close, I have another question for you, for specifically for you. Okay. What have you enjoyed most about being an SLP? Oh, okay. Let me think about that. Because I really do love my job. Now, I can tell you what I like least is the paperwork. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I think we'd all vote for that one. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yes. I think it's when the students ca- are capable of doing something, communicating something that they have not been able to do that before. Yes. So if they have read a book and they're struggling and we've gone over the vocabulary and at the key cup vocabulary and they come back and they're like, Mrs. Alexander, I, I got like an 80 or 90 on my page. And I remember, and you know, they, they get so excited. They did so well. And so definitely I had a little boy that I knew veterans day was coming up. And so I thought, okay, we're, we are going to work on veteran. It took him a really long time to learn. I mean, 
a long time. And then when Veterans Day came, we had some veterans come to our elementary school, and he got it. He understood. He came by my, my <laughs> class and said, Aww. "Oh, the veterans are in the cafeteria. You need to go Aww. see them." And I just, just when it clicks. I would say that's when I see what I have done and it clicks. Yes. They can communicate. That's my favorite part. Oh, yes, yes. I love it. When you see progress and when you actually see it transfer and they're using it and it's impacting their life. Exactly. Yeah, that's the, the greatest thing. Well, thank you so much, Kathy, for all that you, you have shared with us with, for your expertise and putting all of this together. And Kathy, I know I'm just going to put in a, a little plug here. You and I have planned to do another podcast and the next one that you're doing is on morphology. Yes. So we look forward to that as well. But I just, I appreciate you so much and thank you and all the best to you and your speech kids. Okay. Thank you, Char. And thank you for having me today. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Busy SLP, Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbochart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at charbochart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.